phones and technology going. We'll maybe see if this will work today. I'm curious to see if these two microphones will play well together. We'll see here in just a, just a little bit. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And as we wrap up our series this morning, Praying the Jesus Way, we're going to look at the last phrase of what we will call the Lord's Model Prayer. But before we do, just a few comments. I hope this series has been helpful to you. I hope that it uh, has been a blessing, and more than that, I hope it helps to jumpstart our prayer life. I hope it will help us become better prayers and be uh, spend more time in prayer, because I'm convinced that prayer is a starting point that allows the Holy Spirit to uh, act, have access to our hearts so that he can begin to make us more and more like Jesus and can begin to do his work in us and through us. So as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 9 through 13, uh, and we'll read this model prayer together. So let's all read this together out loud if we could. In verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When we look at this prayer, we realize that the different petitions that are in it actually cover everything, every need that we could possibly have as human beings. When we pray for daily bread, that means God's going to take care of all of our physical needs. When we pray for forgiveness, that means we're asking God to meet our spiritual needs. And then finally, when we pray that the Lord would lead us not to temptation or to deliver us from evil, we're praying that God would indeed help us with our moral need. And when we pray a prayer like this model prayer of Jesus, what we are doing more than anything else is admitting our dependence on God. Amen? Amen? Admitting that we can't do things on our own, that we have to have God to help us. Did you know that we see the Trinity involved in this prayer? God the Father, it's through the Father's providence that we receive daily bread. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we find forgiveness. And it's through the Holy Spirit's empowerment that we are kept from temptation and kept safe from evil. It's also in this model prayer that Jesus gives us the blueprint for real prayer or the true Christian prayer as a pro opposed to legalistic and heathenistic prayers. We talked earlier in this series, the error of the hypocrite is selfishness. He has the intention of attention. He's caught trying to cause, call attention to himself, trying to have folks say, Wow, what a great prayer that person is. Wow, what, how spiritual he must be. Listen to that prayer. The error of the heathen is meaninglessness. They just keep babbling on. They use big words. They just keep on running. They use a lot of words. Uh, and they just keep right on praying, using what Jesus calls vain repetition. True Christian prayer is, first of all, God-centered. 
It focuses on God. It has God as its core. We understand that when we pray, and those of, fellows, those of you who lead prayer, can I remind you that we're not praying. Our audience is not the ones that are here in the church building. Our audience is Jesus, amen? Our audience is God. That is to whom we are praying, and, and that's where, what we need to remember. That's what true prayer is. It is God-centered, not man-centered. True prayer is also intelligent. And by intelligent, I don't mean super PhD smart. By intelligent, what I mean is it's not babbling. It is not just talking to be talking. Uh, it is expressive. It's thoughtful rather than vain, repetitious babbling. And when we pray, we come out from behind that mask. We talked about the word hypocrite means to be behind the mask. It's like the actors in a play that are acting out a role behind the mask. Uh, and so I would encourage us to come behind the mask in our prayer. And we approach our Abba as his dependents and as his children. And we open our hearts to him. And today we're going to turn our attention to the last phrase of this prayer in verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this section of the model prayer is actually a prayer for personal holiness. We, were praying, we are praying that God would help us be holy. We, will help us that, we are praying that God would help us avoid sin, stay out of sin. And some opening observations before we unpack this final section. First of all, we don't get holy and then come to Jesus. I've heard a lot of people say, and I'll talk to them in, in prison. When I, I'm a prison chaplain. That's the, the job I do, do that, that pays the bills. Uh, and a lot of times I'll talk to inmates and I'll, I'll say, do you, have, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you a Christ follower? And quite often I hear them say, well, I'm trying to clean my life up first, and then I'm going to come to Jesus. That's backwards. We can't clean ourselves up. We don't get holy and then come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, and then he makes us holy. Amen? I saw a sign on a, a church, uh, a saying on a church sign that says, come to Jesus. He'll catch you, and then he'll clean you. And, and that's, that's exactly right. But we want to get that backward sometimes. Justification, being made right positionally or declared not guilty, comes before sanctification. In other words, being made right. Jesus declares us right. He saves us. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit to help make us more like him. Here's a question for you. When we are born again, Ephesians 2, 6 tells us we are raised to sit in heavenly places. Here's my quest question. Does your lifestyle look like you were sitting in heavenly places? When we're born again, Ephesians 1.6 says we are accepted in the beloved. In the beloved. My question is, does our language sound like we're accepted in the beloved? When we're born again, our sins and our debts, they've been forgiven. Does our lifestyle look like we have been forgiven a massive debt? If we're honest, even as blood-bought Christians, we continue to struggle with the presence of sin. Even though we've been saved and we are, the idea that we are sitting in the heavenlies, we're accepted in the beloved, we are forgiven, 
our, our ticket to heaven, it, we, Jesus Christ has paid for that. We still struggle with sin, don't we? We still struggle with the presence of sin in our lives. It's with this thought in mind that Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Notice Jesus doesn't pray, Lord, lead us where you want us to go. That makes the most sense, doesn't it? Lord, just take us where you want us to go. Instead, Jesus says, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into temptation. If you remember what James said in James 1.13, James tells us that God won't ever tempt us to do evil. So what in the world is Jesus praying about when he says, lead us not into temptation? Well, here's some thoughts on that. Number one, when we ask the Father to lead, it's our job to follow. When we ask the Father to lead, it's our job to follow. As with the previous petitions in this prayer, this one also starts with us having dependence on the Father. If the Father is going to lead us anywhere, we have to humble ourselves to let God do the leading. And we also have to humble ourselves into admitting that we are not capable of leading ourselves successfully anywhere. Remember what David said in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. When we let God lead us, God leads us to green pastures and still waters. When we lead ourselves, at least speaking for me, when I try to lead myself, I lead, lead myself to the dead grass and the swift water. Amen? We need to learn to let God lead. God's leadership always follows our brokenness. I'm going to say that again. God's leadership always follows our brokenness. Until you and I acknowledge how much of a sinner we are, how plagued by sin we are, and how prone we are to sin, then we will never be able to humble ourselves in order to let God lead us. We have to deal with our sin. God can only lead us from our brokenness. Many of you say they want God to lead them. They say that, but then they don't want to deal with their sin. They say they want God to lead, but they don't want to change anything they're doing. It's sort of like somebody put on my Facebook page. It was one of those uh, one-picture comic strips. It was the pastor having an interview with a uh, pastor search committee. And it says, Pastor, we're looking for a pastor that will bring in new changes while we still get to do the things the way we always did them. And that's kind of the way folks want to do when we want to let God lead. We want to let God lead us, but we want to keep on doing what we've always done. Amen? Until we come to God in brokenness, saying, God, I'm a sinner. And we do that when we, use the term, get saved. We do that when we come to the Lord to be regenerated, to be born again from above. But let me tell you what, admitting with, that we are sinners is something that we will continue to do every day of our life. And to the extent that we are able to do that, then we are able to let God lead. So God's leadership always follows our brokenness. Also, it's impossible to follow God 
from our own self-righteousness. It's impossible to follow God from our own self-righteousness. We live in a get-or-done world, don't we? Just get up and get it done. Pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and, and take care of yourselves. Go do whatever it is you need to do. You, you just make yourself holy. You make yourself right. And how many times have you sinned and you realize you've sinned and you say, I'm never going to do that again, even if it kills me. So we just grit our teeth and we say, I'm not going to do that. And, and we do well for a while and we start saying, look at me. I, I'm going to church. I'm teaching a Bible class. I'm reading the Bible every day. I've got a friend of mine that reminds me every chance he gets that he reads 10 chapters a day in the Bible. And, I, and I'm glad that he does that. But I sometimes wonder, is he depending on the, those 10 chapters a day to get him closer to Jesus? Because it doesn't work that way. God cannot lead through our self-righteousness. We cannot make ourselves more holy. I can't do that. You can't do that. You know why? Because we just have in us a proclivity to sin. We have that old man in us. Even though we've been born again, even though we've been saved, even though we've had our sins forgiven, even though we are headed down the road to heaven, we still have that old man in us that comes up and he, he rears his head every now and then. So during our daily walk, we need to humble ourselves in our brokenness. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Just lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil. But not only do we need to ask the Father to lead and hum we humble ourselves to follow, we are also asking God for an evasion of temptation. Not an invasion, but an evasion. We're trying to evade temptation. During our daily walk, we are led by God, right? God leads us, God shows us, and while we are there, we live in a fallen, broken world, so we are going to be in places that are evil. And not necessarily bad, sinful places, but sinful places fill this world. You go to Save-A-Lot, or you go to Food Saver, you're surrounded by evil. Now, don't get me wrong. Y'all don't leave and go. Don't, don't go to Food Saver this afternoon and say, Brother Andy said, y'all are all evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is evil surrounds us. We live in a broken world that is dominated by Satan and his demons. And when we are led by God into that world, because that's what where God has called us, right? We're getting ready to start in a few weeks a series on 1 Peter. And I've titled that series On the Outside Living In. Because God never calls us to pull ourselves apart from the world and live way over here and let the world go way over here. God has called us to live in the world, but we can't live of the world. God has called us into this evil world, into this dark world, not so that we can participate, but so that we can show this world light. And so what we are praying that God would do is to lead us while we are in this world that's evil to keep us away from temptation, to keep us away from evil. Because what we are basically saying is, Lord, don't lead me into temptation because I have sinned before. And I know that I'm able to sin again. 
Lord, lead me from temptation. I want to warn you of something. And I've learned I'm going to bring this up again a little bit later, but the older that I get, the more I sound like my father and my grandfather. But I want to warn you of an attitude that we as Christians can't afford to have that I'm afraid too many of us do in this matter. And that is, we'll say, well, it couldn't happen to me. That's not going to happen to me. Now, now that person, they may fall, but, but that won't happen to me. Remember Peter? When Jesus at his last supper, right before his last supper, he said, all of you all are going to desert me. Peter said, now these other guys, these other 11, they might. But Peter said, I won't. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't even know it, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Never let yourself be caught saying, that will never happen to me. Because when you do that, you're put playing right into Satan's hands. There's a word for that. It's called pride. I would like to think I could never kill. I would like to think I wouldn't steal. I'd like to think I wouldn't commit adultery. I like to think I wouldn't lie. I like to think. But you know what? In certain circumstances, in certain situations, we don't know. And what we are praying to God when we say, Lead us for temptation, we are basically saying, God, save me from myself. You need that prayer? I do. I'm my biggest enemy. I have participated in every bad decision I ever made. Amen. And we're asking God, God, save me from myself. Keep me out of temptation. And while we're doing this, what is temptation? When you think of the word temptation, what comes to your mind? And for guys, it might be, Lord, just don't let me go by a strip club. Lord, don't let me see a, a billboard that's going to make me lust. For me, it might be, Lord, Lord, don't let me walk by a stack of Reese's Cups. Why is it when I go to Food Saver to buy tomatoes, before I get to the tomatoes, I've got, got, got to go through the Hershey's and the candy and all this good stuff. Lord, don't let my boss leave a million dollars laying on the table so I'd be tempted to put a hundred dollars of it in my pocket. We're talking about obvious, usually when we think of temptation, we think of obvious sin, don't we? Evil stuff, bad stuff. But what if temptation is disguised as prosperity? What if we become so independent that we keep quit praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, because our storehouses are full of bread? What if temptation is disguised as happiness? One of the churches where I pastored, a 60-year-old man left his wife of 40 years for a 25-year-old girlfriend. And when I went to talk to him, he told me, he said, well, Brother Andy, he said, she's just a fine Christian lady. She said, I feel like God has put her in my path, and I just think God wanted us to be together. After all, God wants me to be happy. What if Happiness is temptation. What if temptation is disguised as success? 
What if we get to the top of our company where the president, the vice president, but along the way we've neglected our family. We've neglected church and we've neglected prayer because we were just too busy. You see, it's easy to see those obvious temptations. Now sometimes we fall to them. But it's those subtle temptations that get us sometimes. Prosperity, success, happiness, power. Lord, lead us for temptation. Lead us not to temptation. It's a bigger prayer than what we think it is. Temptation is also more than trials and tribulations and tragedies. So often we pray, Lord, just don't let me have any hard times. I don't do good when I get under pressure. And, and Lord, just let my life be easy. And I just pray you let my kids never touch alcohol. And I just pray you let them find a happy wife and happy husband and just let them have a good life and be with our church and don't ever let me get sick and don't let me have any trials and don't let have any, certainly don't let me have any tragedy, Lord. I can't handle any, don't let my husband or my wife or my kids pass away. Don't let them get really bad sick. I got news for all of us. I don't know anybody that's ever escaped life without facing some of that. Amen? That's part of life. We've just got to learn to deal with it. But did you know there's something that we need to avoid more than trials, more than tribulation, more than tragedy? And that is temptation. Here's some questions for you. What scares you more? An empty bank account or a prideful heart? You see, we need to hate our pride more than we hate our prosperity. We also need to fear defilement more than deprivation. Are we more concerned that our lifestyle might bring reproach on Jesus Christ and his church? Or are we more concerned that we're not driving the coolest car? We need to learn to fear sin more than we fear sickness. When we get sick, what is it we pray? Lord, heal me from my cancer. Lord, heal me from my heart ailment. Lord, heal me from this. And it's fine to ask for healing. But shouldn't we also pray, Lord, while I'm sick, let me bring glory to you. Lord, while I'm sick, let me be sick in such a way that those that are around me can see Jesus shining through. Jesus, when he prays, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, he's got an agenda in his mind and what he's thinking about is evil. What he's thinking about is sin. And if being led from temptation is concerned about future sin, it's admitting to God and humbling ourselves in front of God and saying, God, it's possible for me to sin in the future. When Jesus says deliver us from evil, he's talking about present sin. He's talking about deliver us from evil Right now. Because truth be told, not only is it possible for me to sin next week, it's also possible for me to sin today. And we need to be saying as we walk about our day every day, Lord, deliver us from evil. Because you know what? I could leave this church house. 
And I'll walk out the door singing, oh, how I love Jesus. And I'll get in my truck, and I will get up here to the corner of Old New Hope Road in 96, and just as I get ready to turn left, somebody will come zipping over there right in front of me, and if I'm not careful, I get angry. And I say, you big nut. And I've just got done singing, oh, how I love Jesus. But I get angry. Or, wives, you, you sing, love lifted me, and you get home and your husband gets stupid. <laughs> and you get angry. And we hate. We get more concerned about our reputation than we do God's reputation. We get more concerned with building our kingdom than we do God's kingdom. So Jesus says, Lord, deliver us from evil. Or the evil one. Some translations, some say evil, some of them say evil one. In my mind, it doesn't make much difference because the evil one's the one's in charge of the evil, right? What we need is deliverance from all of it. Lord, deliver us from evil. Either way, do you know how the Lord delivers us from evil? As Christians, as Christ followers. Now, if you're not a Christian or a Christ follower, I don't know what to tell you. But if you're a Christian or you're and a Christ follower, the way that he delivers us from evil, the mindset from which we operate, is the fact that Jesus has already won. Remember I said earlier we can't depend upon our own self-righteousness to make us holy? You can depend on Jesus' righteousness to make you holy. Jesus has already won. Sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves to try to make ourselves holy. I'm going to obey all the rules. We'll get out the Baptist faith and message. We memorize it word for word. And, and we say, I'm just going to be perfect. I'm going to do, do that. I'm just going to be the kind of person that that I ought to be. and But trouble is, it works until it doesn't. Or we could go to the other extreme and think, well, I'm a good Christian because of my holiness. I go to church. I read my ten chapters a day. I tithe. I teach Sunday school. Take care of the church building. Drive the church van. Do whatever it is. Look at me, I'm holy. But you know what? If we're not careful what we do, we break our arms trying to pat ourselves on the back. Amen? By saying, look how good I am. We get like, get like that Pharisee that went into the temple and he sees the tax collector over in the corner and he says, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. We start saying, look at me. At least I'm not like this person. And we find the sorriest person we can think of and say, at least I'm not like them. couple of thoughts here. When we focus on our holiness, we lose the essence of the gospel. The gospel message is not about us doing good and being good. The gospel message is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where we're born again. When we admit that we're sinners and we trust and Jesus has finished work on the cross. The Holy Spirit comes to us 
makes us born again, regenerates us, washes away our sins. And we begin letting the Holy Spirit do His work in changing us. When we focus on our holiness, we are losing the essence of the gospel. There are a lot of things in Christendom today that have replaced the gospel. Social justice, racism, taking care of the poor, sexual orientation. Those things are important and we need to talk about each and every one of them. But they do not replace the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Don't let our, we were called to be holy. That leads me to my second point here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're not supposed to be holy because we are. We're going to see in 1 Peter. Peter says, you be holy because God is holy. That's a commandment from God. We're supposed to do that. There are rules worth having, but not as a pathway to Jesus Christ. We don't get to Jesus by obeying the rules. We get to Jesus by trusting in him as our Savior. When we come to Christ and acknowledge our sins and we trust him as our Savior, Christ comes into us and his nature begins to take over our nature. And you know, the more I allow Jesus Christ to take over my nature, the longer I walk with Christ, the more I should look like him. Something I've noticed in the last two or three years. I'm getting to look a lot more like my dad. Uh, when I went over to my mom's house for uh, family get-together here a while back, my brother-in-law was on the porch and he said, wow. I said, what? He said, just for a minute. He said, the way that you held your hands and you, your head just expects you. He said, you look just like your dad. And you know what? The longer we walk with Jesus, shouldn't we look more like him? That's how we get holy. I don't get holy by what I do. I get holy because of who I love. Amen? I'm going to say that again. I don't get holy by what I do. I get holy by who I love. The more I love Jesus, the more I want to look like him. And the more I want to do. You know what? I don't need a note on my mirror in the bathroom. That reminds me every day when I leave the house to be faithful to Marie. I don't need that note. You know why? Because I love Marie. And I'm going to be faithful to her. I don't need the rule that says that. We don't need a rule on our mirror that says follow Jesus today. You know when you need the rule? We need the rule when we start seeing our heart wander. The rule is there to help us remember I uh, was riding down the interstate, driving to Pike Bowl. Now, I drove like I had since coming back because it rained all the way. But now going, I was driving pretty good. And I passed the speed limit sign that said, speed limit, 70. And I looked down and I was doing 90. <laughs> so I needed that rule because my mind had started wandering. And I didn't keep my mind on my business. What happens to us as Christians is the reason we need the rules is not because it makes us holy. The reason we need the rules is because our mind starts wandering. We start forgetting who it is we're supposed to look like. Amen? 
We need rules when our heart starts to wander. Our prayer is not, Lord, help me keep the rules. Our prayer is, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And this last little section, just a few comments about that. The model prayer is bookended by doxology. Doxology is a worship of God. This prayer starts, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer ends, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This verse is probably taken from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 to 13, where King David says, Lord God, it's all about your kingdom. It's all about... He had just, David had just said that one day God's going to take a king and set him on the throne forever. David says, it's about not my kingship, but your kingship. Here's we come to the end of all of this. What better way could we wrap it up? We've talked about give us our daily bread. We've talked about forgiveness of our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've talked about Leading us not into temptation, but delivering us from evil. We've talked about, Lord, let your will be done. Not my will be done. Because God, it really is about his kingdom. All that we do, our daily bread, forgiving our debts, being not led into temptation, while that will... Help us live a much happier life. It's all about trying to be in position for God to use us to build his kingdom. All the glory goes to God. All the power goes to God. And then he wraps it up. Notice that it says forever. All of this stuff we've talked about goes beyond space and time. God's will, God's power, God's kingdom, God's authority, they are forever. And then he says, Amen. Amen means, let it be so. When I was growing up, we had a guy, and anytime they called on him for prayer, he probably prayed for five minutes. And he had a big, deep, resonant voice, and he would say, Our Father in Heaven. And he just had a wonderful voice, and he would get to the end, and he would, the way he would end his prayer, Lord be with us, Amen! <laughs> and for the longest time I thought, Amen meant, thank goodness the prayer was over. <laughs> but Amen means, Lord, let it be so. When you hear people saying amen to a preacher, all you're saying is, I agree with you. Amen. Let it be so. When we say a prayer and we all say amen, Lord, let it be so. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day 
our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all God's people said, We normally have an invitation about this time, but today is a special time. Uh, it's the first of the month, and every first of the month we celebrate communion. 